I'll be honest with you, after a video that awesome, I feel like me just showing up here on stage is just a little bit anticlimactic. Huh? Everyone's like, ooh, there's a lion roaring, a hand riding on the wall, a fiery furnace, epic music, and then a 20-something guy on stage who needs a new wardrobe. Awesome, yes. That's definitely what we were expecting. Um, uh, but seriously, though, uh, you know, I'm so excited to be here with you for week four of Clash of Dynasties 2, The Chronicles of Daniel. Uh, I fell in love with the book of Daniel years ago, and I hope you'll love it too. It's a phenomenal book for a couple reasons. First of all, the book of Daniel has got a lot of prophecies in it that help us make sense of why the world is the way it is today. And secondly, the book of Daniel has got some incredible stories of godly heroes who stood up for what's right. And by heroes, I mean Daniel, the guy this book is named after, and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, you know, in Daniel chapter 3, there's a famous story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a fiery furnace, a Babylonian king, and an incredible miracle. It's a story you might have heard before, but today we're going to be just going at this from a new angle, and I'm super, super stoked for that. Uh, I, I hope this is a blessing to you. And, but today, before we get started, I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. If you've seen me preach before, you know that I have a hard time being super, super serious. You know, I, I, like, I like humor, I like to joke around, I like to be lighthearted and positive. One time I heard of a pastor who was just always preaching super serious messages. I mean, he was always serious, you know, and, and one day he was like, you know what, I'm going to preach a super serious message on the fiery darts of the devil, doggone, and I'm going to go up there, I'm going to preach about the fiery darts of the devil. But he had one problem. During the message, he accidentally got the first letter of the word fiery and the first letter of the word darts flipped. So... Uh, he ended up preaching his whole message. Uh, he was wondering why everybody was laughing, and then he realized that he was preaching on the diary. Well, you get the picture, you know. Uh, needless to say, he had to dismiss early that day. Um, but, yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that. Um, but um, I guess my point is I'm not, I'm not super serious or solemn by nature, so I'm a little bit out of my element today. Uh, because I'm going to be preaching on a topic that is very serious. And it's serious because it affects not just us here in the United States, but it's, a, it's something that affects Christians all over the world, millions of Christians all over the world. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 is a story about how to face persecution for your faith. And today, I'm going to be preaching on the topic of persecution and you might say, Stephen, are you crazy? I mean, you, do you realize you're preaching about persecution to an American audience? I realize that, but no, I'm not crazy. I mean, maybe 10 years ago, I would be a little bit crazy, but not now. I mean, I read the news. I'm, I, I, can see the, I can see the writing on the wall. We all can. I mean, uh, right now, I see Christians being censored for their beliefs. I see Christians being talked down to, ridiculed in some cases fired for their beliefs in our country, in our country. I mean, I would be a fool not to talk about persecution. I really would. And maybe if I thought things would always be the way they are today, I wouldn't be as worried, but I think, I think we all know there's a possibility that this could get worse. And so, and, and here's the main reason I'm talking on this subject. You know, when God lays something on my heart, I don't care if it's controversial, I don't care if it's uncomfortable, I'm gonna talk about it. And, and I think we need to have a talk about this, I really do. And, and, and I, just, I just need your prayers today because I know it's, it's a serious subject, it's heavy, but it's something I really believe we need to talk about. And let me just clarify for a second. I understand that the persecution we face here in the US is nothing compared to what Christians face in other parts of the world. 
Uh, every year, Open Doors USA publishes a list of the top 50 most dangerous countries to be a Christian. All of us here in the US should read that report because it just, it's eye-opening. It's really hard just to get through it because when you think about what Christians and, and the rest of the world are facing, it's, it's crazy to think about. In Nigeria, for instance, can you imagine what it would be like to have two terrorists, not just one, but two terrorist organizations running around just killing Christians? That's what it's like to be a Christian in Nigeria right now. They have to deal with Boko Haram and the Fulani herdsmen. I can't even imagine. The, the Christians in that part of the world are so courageous, and they set such a wonderful example for us here. We should pray for them. We should support them. For some reason, our news media decides not to talk about them very much. I think that's insane because they, it needs to be talked about, and we should pray for them and love them and support them. I think about the Christians in India right now. You know, 20, 30 years ago, Christian persecution in India was bad, but it's nothing like it is now. There's a group of people in India that just want to wipe out the Christians, and what Christians are going through there is just terrible. And so I definitely understand that what we face here is nothing compared to what Christians face there. And I will say this, we should appreciate the freedoms we have in this country, you know, whenever you see a military service member, definitely thank them for their service, but also please thank them for the fact that because of what they do, we have freedom of speech in this country. We have freedom of religion in this country. We're able to come to church and not be afraid of getting arrested. So absolutely, please thank them for that. I mean, if, if you serve in our military, my hat is off to you because you guys are amazing and thank you, thank you for what you do. And so here in the United States, we definitely have it good. So I, I, I'm not discounting that at all, but here's the thing. I'm gonna say something, and I think we all have realized this at some point. I think that even here in our country, Christians are feeling more and more pressure every day to abandon what we believe, fair? I think it's fair. I think every single day, we feel more and more pressure to abandon what we believe in. For instance, when a Christian student in high school is relentlessly bullied for having deeply held beliefs, that is persecution. When a Christian's Twitter account gets suspended because their beliefs are politically incorrect, that is persecution. If someone gets really hostile towards you and calls you a hater or a bigot because of what you believe, that is persecution. There is no other word for that. And we face that even here in the United States. Now, here's the thing. Does that mean that we need to act like a bunch of victims and get all angry and paranoid? Absolutely not. It means that we need to go to the Bible to find out how do we respond? How, what do we do? What do we say? How do we act when our faith puts a target on us? What do you do in that situation? Well, I think today's story from Daniel chapter three is gonna shed some light on that. As I said earlier, the book of Daniel tells us a story of four young men. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's the thing. I don't feel like saying all those names 100 times during this message. So let's just call them Daniel and the boys, okay? Daniel and the boys. <laughs> that sounds kind of like a music group from the late 90s, doesn't it? It's like, I wonder if they were on the radio. Up next on the hit parade, we have the brand new number one hit single from Daniel and the boys. Everybody get ready for baby Bob Bob Babylon. I don't know. Uh, that's a terrible joke. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so Daniel and the boys, uh, they grew up in the kingdom of Judah in about 620 BC, 
And if, uh, if you don't know, the kingdom of Judah was sort of the last stronghold of the people of God when Babylon was conquering the world. Because you know, Babylon, they were big and bad. They conquered everybody. They took everybody out. And Judah was sort of the last group of God followers left. And Daniel and the boys, they grew up in Judah. But one day, while they were teenagers, most likely, Babylon came in and just wiped out everything. I mean, they just took every, everything out. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like you know, you grow up in a country where you feel like you're safe, but one day an invading force comes in and they either, I mean, they do, they do two things. They kill a bunch of people and everybody who doesn't get killed gets carted off thousands of miles away to a different country where the language is different, the culture is different, the religion is different, everything's different. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be Daniel and the boys. I can't imagine, like I can't even wrap my head around that. I think that's one of the reasons why in our country we need to be kind to refugees because it, I can't imagine what it must be like to have to leave your country to find safety. I can't imagine. And that's what these guys are going through. They're, they're, they're taken captive by Babylon and they're taken away thousands of miles away. But here's, the Babylonians do something smart though because they realize that these four guys are something special. They're, they're not just your average Joe. These guys are smart. They're gifted, they're talented, they're natural born leaders. I mean, these guys have got the whole package. And so Babylon says, hey, we, let, instead of making them slaves, how about we educate them in our finest schools, we give them the top flight education, we give them everything, we, we train them to be the, the best Babylonians they can be, and then we'll send them back to their country as ambassadors for Babylon. And so, I mean, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he basically takes these guys in. I mean, it's incredible. He takes them in. He allows them to live at the palace. He gives them the best food, the best education. And it's smart because these guys are overachievers. You know, Daniel and the boys, they know what's up. I mean, they get the best grades. They're, they're always like finishing their assignments and they get promoted and then they get promoted again and then they get promoted again. And they go from being captives from a foreign land to becoming super high officials in the Babylonian government. I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that, right? I mean, that's incredible. You know, God blessed Daniel and the boys, but there was one little problem. You see, these guys grew up believing in the one true God. They grew up believing that you worship nobody but him, but Babylon doesn't worship the same God. In fact, Babylon was full of idol worship. So at some point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, at some point, they're gonna have to decide between doing what's right and doing what Babylon expects them to do. I feel like we can resonate with that a little bit. And so at the beginning of Daniel chapter three, that's where we pick this up. They're in a foreign land, and they know at some point their culture is gonna sort of try to push them to abandon their beliefs. And that's where we pick it up in Daniel 3. Check this out. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the, the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, man, that's a lot of instruments, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. 
Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Not a good day if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because again, these guys are high up officials in in the government. And so if anybody's expected to bow, it's them. Everybody's expected to bow to this giant golden statue of a man. If you want to know what's happening here, this is what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he's forcing everybody to join his made-up religion. It doesn't even make sense, but he does it anyway. And so everybody's got to bow to this giant statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in trouble. And I will say, Daniel does not show up in this chapter. I think most likely he might be in a different location or something might be going on with him that's sort of on the side of this story. So instead of Daniel and the boys, now it's just the boys. The boy band broke up, so that's where we're at here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're sort of all on their own, you know? And this ceremony, they're supposed to go to this ceremony where everybody bows to the statue, and they're looking around at each other like, man... Are we, is this seriously happening? I mean, can, can you imagine what it must be like to be them? You know, because the three of them, they go to this ceremony, the statue is unveiled, and they start the music, and everybody starts to bow, and the three of them are looking at each other like, how did it ever come to this? Like, Shadrach, how did it come to this, man? Like, we gotta worship this giant golden statue? That's not God. It's a giant gold statue of a man. It looks like an, a giant Academy Award. I mean, come on. We're having to worship this thing? It's ridiculous. And so now they've got to make a choice. Thousands of people around these guys are bowing because King Nebuchadnezzar says to bow. So what are they going to do? Are they going to stand up for what they believe? Or do they just go with the crowd? Man, I think we know something about that sometimes. You know, what are they going to do? Well, they talk it out. They get into their huddle, talk it out, and they decide, hey, we're not bowing. You know what? Doesn't matter what happens, we're not bowing. So the three of them are standing really tall, and everybody else around them is bowing. My dad always says, they must have looked pretty tall in a sea of rear ends. (laughs) 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 Sounds like him, doesn't it? Um, I I just want to take the opportunity right now to give you a flight plan of where we're going for the rest of this message For the rest of our time today, I'm going to ask three different questions about persecution. Number one, why does persecution happen in the first place? Number two, how do we respond? And number three, what hope do we have if we're persecuted? There's gonna be multiple answers to each of these questions and we'll find out what those answers are from the story itself. But here's question number one. Why does persecution happen in the first place? I think this is a good question because Christians all over the world, I think we kind of wonder why, like why does this happen? Well, here's the first answer and that is that following God puts you in the minority. I think all of us understand this to a certain extent. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they, they were only three guys and everybody around them is bowing to this statue. They must have felt a little bit alone, you know, and and maybe you identify with that because you're saying, Stephen, you know, sometimes when I, when I talk about my faith, when I talk about God, I kind of feel like I'm sort of on an island. And, and that's not an accident. You know, you're not alone. I mean, think about this. In Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said this. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, you want to follow me? Okay, great. Get ready to feel like an outsider. 
Get ready to feel like everybody disagrees with you. Get ready to feel like you're in the minority because, man, just wait, you know? That's what he's saying, and that's okay because Jesus gives us a heads up about that, and that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going through. And the reason why persecution can happen is that sometimes the majority looks at those in the minority and says, why won't you get with the program, guys? Like, don't you know? And that's one of the reasons why this happens. The second reason why persecution can happen is conflict between human authority and God's authority. You know, in the United States, thankfully, we don't have to deal with this very often. But a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters in other countries, they have to deal with this every single day. Notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have to break the law of their country to stand up for what they believe. I mean, that takes courage. Why did they do that? Because at that moment, there was a conflict between human authority and the authority of God. Now, I'm really careful with this because I believe we should respect authority. We should respect the law. You know, the Bible teaches us that we need to respect government. We need to honor the people who are in office, whether we agree with them or disagree with them. You know, we should be good citizens. That's why Jesus said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and render unto God that which is God's. It was Jesus' way of saying, pay your taxes and be a good citizen. Um, But the Bible also makes it clear that sometimes human authority and God's authority are at odds with each other. And at that point, you know, you have a really tough decision to make because it's like, which one do I bow to, God or people? And thank God in the United States, our laws are very oriented around Christian ethics, which we are so blessed about that in our country, but in other countries, not so much. And maybe you'd say, Stephen, that's a third world country thing, man. Not exactly. You know, in Russia right now, which is not a third world country, in Russia, there's a law that says you can't even share your faith outside of a church. Like, if you're at a bus stop or if you're at home, you can't even talk to someone about God or you could get arrested and fined. It's insane. In Russia, post-Soviet Russia. And oh yeah, let's talk about the UK for a second. I love the UK. I have been there. I love the people. I love the country. I think it's one of the most phenomenal places on planet Earth. I love the UK. But right now... I mean, there's been many stories, not just, not just one or two guys, but there's been a, quite a few stories of pastors that have been arrested because somebody just called the police and said, hey, they said something offensive. And next thing you know, the pastor's being arrested for preaching. It's, it's insanity. They didn't even say anything hateful or derogatory. They just get arrested. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. The UK is a country that is not a third world country at all. And, you know, there was, a, there was a student, a college student in the UK who was expelled, expelled from his university just because he had a traditional belief about marriage that he mentioned in a social media post, and he was expelled from his university. He just now won in court, almost four years after being expelled in the UK. And maybe you'd say, well, that's just across the pond, man. Over here on this side of the Atlantic, it's a little different. Well, not exactly. Only a few years ago, in the city of Houston, Texas, of all places, Houston, Texas, the city government actually demanded that certain pastors hand over their sermons to the city government to, to see if they were being offensive or not. In America, in Texas, in California right now, they're debating a resolution that will call on pastors to preach a specific kind of message. I mean, it's insanity. But, I mean, it's nothing new. It's absolutely nothing new because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to deal with the same thing back then. 
And I just think sometimes human authority and God's authority can be in conflict, and that can be a source of persecution. Here's the third reason why persecution happens, and to me, this is the big one. This is the big one. This is everything. Anger directed at God can become anger directed at you. This, to me, is the biggest one, because sometimes that happens. I want us to move forward in this story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I just want you to see this, because King Nebuchadnezzar finds out that these guys have disobeyed his command. They get called into the principal's office, you know? And so let's, let's read about this. Check this out. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? Look at this. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I, I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Man, I, I, I wouldn't want to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right then. Notice how angry Nebuchadnezzar is. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is furious, like he's in a rage, he's so angry. And God laid something on my heart this week that to me is just so important. When you read this story, you might think that Nebuchadnezzar is angry at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But you know what's, this is, this is true. Nebuchadnezzar's problem was not with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar's main problem was with God. And these guys just got caught in the crossfire. His main problem was with God. There's a lot of reasons for that, but basically Nebuchadnezzar, he was a very successful king. Everything he touched turned to gold. I mean, he conquered nation after nation after nation, and there was a part of him that wanted to give himself credit for all of his success. He didn't want to give God credit for that success, and that caused a conflict between him and God. This whole gold statue thing was just a part of his conflict with God. And what's really cool is after the fiery furnace story in Daniel chapter four, we find out that Nebuchadnezzar actually became a God follower. And he mentions that, hey, there was a time in my life when my pride got between me and God. He, he makes that very clear. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just happened to be caught in the crossfire when Nebuchadnezzar's angry at God. And maybe you can relate with that because I think that happens sometimes. Here's the thing, sometimes, if you only remember one thing from this message, please remember this. Sometimes you're going to come across somebody who could be angry with you because of your faith or hostile towards you, and it's tempting to write that person off and say, man, they just must really hate me. Man, they just must have a real personal problem with me. But what you don't realize is that maybe they might be frustrated with God, and because you're a Christian, you represent the God that they're frustrated with. It happens every single day. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's reasons for being angry at God were kind of ridiculous, but some people's anger today is a little bit more valid. You know, there's a lot of people in our culture today who have been burned by religion, who have been hurt by religion, and I think all of us can understand that to a certain extent. You know, they went to church, but they were treated badly. Their questions were not welcome, and so now they're a little bit frustrated with God, and you might just be caught in the crossfire a little bit. You know, there's some people out there where they see preachers on television who are not even preachers, they're scammers, 
who are telling people, hey, if you foot the bill for my private jet, then God is gonna bless you. Obviously, there's a lot of people out there angry about that, and they should be angry about that, but for some people, they look at that and they say, wow, that's Christianity. What a scam. I I don't understand those Christians. And sometimes you can get caught in the crossfire. And probably the biggest one is this. Some people have been through massive personal tragedy and loss. And that, as you can imagine, can lead to anger toward God. And sometimes people who have been through that, sometimes they might blow up at God or maybe say something about Christianity that's not exactly the most kind. And sometimes I see Christians where we just decide to throw verbal hand grenades right back and say, I can't believe you would say this. What's wrong with you? You're going to hell. And what makes me so heartbroken is that we don't understand. You know what? We, We don't know their story. We don't know what they've been through. People like that, they need someone to come alongside them and say, hey, I want you to know no matter what you've been through, tell me what you've been through. What have you been through? Are are you frustrated with God? What's happened in your life? You don't understand that that is so much better to to, to, to view the situation through that lens. Because some people have been through extreme personal tragedy and loss and they're working through their frustration with God and the last thing they need is a Christian to just let them have it. That's the last thing they need. Did Jesus teach us anything about the way we talk to people? I read social media and it just breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. (laughs) You know, J.R.R. Tolkien is one of my favorite people in the world. That's a weird transition. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, I, I love his work. I love Lord of the Rings. You can probably tell because I'm a geek. Um, but I love Lord of the Rings. I love his work. And in case you don't know, he's, he was a believer. And my favorite quote of Tolkien is, not all who wander are lost. That's my favorite quote. And that quote comes from his belief. And I think whenever I see Christians just get angry at people who are getting angry at them for their faith, I just wish we would understand that concept that not all who wander are lost because sometimes we treat people who are wandering as if they are forever lost and that is a mistake. Did you know Paul? He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He used to hate Christians. He persecuted Christians and yet he became one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. And sometimes I see Christians today where it's just like we want to get into some kind of verbal battle with people who disagree with us. I can't, you know, and and yet we don't realize that maybe some of the people we're the most angry at might someday become some of the greatest Christians who ever lived. And all they need is a Christian to come alongside them and say, hey, I want to show you what Christ is really like. And, And I know that's a heavy thing to talk about today, but I think in this, in today's culture where everybody's angry at each other, And everybody's tweeting at each other, you know, and everyone's commenting on everything. I think it's something we should remember, to treat people the way Jesus would treat people. Some persecution happens because we have anger, but some persecution happens because people have anger toward God and we get caught in the crossfire. But it's okay, because we can be ambassadors to the very people who might let us have it sometimes. Here's the second question. How do we respond to persecution? How do we respond? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get called into the principal's office. You know, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar finds out that they disobeyed his command. And so King Nebuchadnezzar decides to uh, call them in. And they have a chance to, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have a chance to respond. 
They have a chance to make their argument. And the way they do it is so perfect. I mean, these guys are so spot on. I, I gotta read this, this is so cool. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, look at this. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. Man, that's good. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. This is so awesome. This is what I call a drop the mic moment, you know? There were no mics in the ancient world, but if there were, a mic would have been dropped right about now. <laughs> I love their response because it teaches us how to respond to persecution in a godly way. Here's the first thing they teach us about responding to persecution. We rely on God for our defense, not ourselves. We rely on God for our defense, not ourselves. Notice that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're making their case, they say we do not need to defend ourselves. Why do they say that? I think I know the answer. Let's just say that you were accused of a crime, but you didn't do it. And be, but the persecution says they have evidence against you, so the case goes to trial. You have two options. Number one, defend yourself in court. I wouldn't recommend that. Number two, you have the option of the best defense attorney in the world offering you his services for free. I don't know about you, but I'm taking the attorney. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going with the attorney. I think this is, this is what I'm trying to say. Sometimes as Christians, if we feel people pushing back against our faith, we just get into a kind of a frenzy. You know, we're like, what do I say? What do I do? I mean, do I need to know all the books of the Bible backwards? Like, what do I do? How do I defend my faith? And yet, all the while, God is there saying, look, I can handle this. Don't sweat it. You know, I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the courage you need. It's okay. And, and basically, we have a choice. Either try to defend ourselves or let God take care of it and give us the words. That's why Jesus said, remember what Jesus said about this, because he talked to his followers about how to face persecution. And he said this, this is so good. When you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Man, that's good. Jesus is saying, look, don't worry about what to say. I got this. I will give you the words. Here's the second way that we respond to persecution. We don't repay evil with evil. In today's culture, this is so, so important because I think Christians are pressured sometimes to repay evil with evil, but that's not what Jesus taught us to do. That's not what he taught us to do. You know, I find this interesting. When Nebuchadnezzar is yelling at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and just letting them have it, you know what's cool? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they, they're not yelling back. They're not cursing at Nebuchadnezzar. They're not spitting at him. They're not tweeting angry emojis, you know. They're not throwing, they're not, they're not getting mad back at him. In fact, this is what I think is so important. Even after these guys, spoiler alert, uh, even after these guys escape from the furnace unharmed, they spend the rest of their lives as loyal servants of the king. Maybe you'd say, Stephen, I don't really understand that. Why didn't they fight back? Why didn't they get mad back? Think about what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said? This is so important. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you. Do you realize that in the ancient world, this was the most revolutionary thing Jesus ever said? To love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you? You know what? I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think they loved Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, I think even when they were being thrown into the furnace, I bet you they were praying for him in their heart, even at that moment, because they, were, because they just understood. You know, I, was, I love to read stories of pastors in foreign countries, and probably my, most, my favorite story of all time is the story of Ghassan Thomas, who uh, is a pastor in Iraq. And, um, you know, I, I just, I know I probably just said Iraq wrong. I think it's Iraq, I'm sorry. Um, but Ghassan Thomas, he was a pastor there, and he grew up in Iraq, and he was a Muslim who converted to Christianity, which in that country is a dangerous thing to do. But he became a pastor, and a very powerful pastor at that. And he decided that in Iraq, he would put on the front of his church in big, bold letters a sign saying, Jesus is the light of the world. I mean, this dude has got courage. I want to meet him so bad saying Jesus is the light of the world. In Iraq, people drive by. That's the, big, that's the thing they see on the front of the church. I mean, incredible. But Pastor Thomas, he realized that eventually there would be some backlash to that. And sure enough, one night, some guys broke into the church and they ruffled up some stuff and they left a message saying, Jesus is not the light of the world. Allah is, and you have been warned. Signed, the Islamic Shiite party. So now the pastor knows, hey, we're in trouble because, you know, I don't, basically, he didn't know what was gonna happen. Were they gonna break in again? Were they gonna attack his, his church? Were they going to attack him? What, he didn't know what to do. And so he thought about it, and then he did the coolest thing in the world. Basically, this was happening right after the Iraq, the Iraq war. So this is after Saddam Hussein fell. And, and in that country, there was a short supply of a lot of things, particularly medical supplies. And so Pastor Thomas, he said, you know what? I'm gonna do something crazy. He got the church van and he loaded it full of medical supplies that were in short supply and uh, children's gifts and a few other things. And he just packed the van full of those things. And he drove down to Baghdad to the headquarters of the organization that ordered a hit on his church. And he just walked right in the front door. Man, I want to meet this guy. He walked in to this organization. And I mean, the dude knows he might get shot at any time. But he's like, hey, I'm walking in the front door. And he asks to see the main guy. He asks, to, he says, hey, who's, who's the head of your organization? And I'm sure the receptionist looked at him like, seriously? And he's like, yeah, I want to talk to your head guy. I want to talk to him. And so the sheik, because he's a sheik, he comes out. And he talks to this pastor, and they're standing face to face. And the pastor said this. He said, hey, I know you don't know me. I know I don't know you, but, you know, I saw the note you guys left behind. And I just, you know, I just, I thought, hey, you know, times are hard here. I just wanted to give you some supplies that are in short demand here, some stuff that I just feel like, you know, you might need. And I just want you to know our God is a God of love, and we love you. Christians have love for you. And, um, you know, I just wanted to bless you today. Hey, is it okay if I read from the Bible? And they let him read from the Bible where it says Jesus is the light of the world. And he said, hey, I just wanted to give you some gifts today. And the sheik's eyes just got super wide, you know. He's like, is he really doing this? And the sheik looked back at him and he said, sir, I am so sorry that this happened to you. I am very sorry that, we, that, that, that your church was broken into. That will never happen again. And by the way, you are my brother. I love the way you talk, man. You are my brother. If anybody tries to kill you, they're going to have to kill me first. Wow. 
and it gets better. Because uh, not long after that, Pastor Thomas was ordained at his church. And as he was looking out into the crowd, he saw a familiar face. It was the sheik sitting in a pew who wanted to come there to support his friend. The next time that you feel the need to repay evil with evil, if somebody goes after you because of your faith or somebody says something that's anti-Christian, the next time you feel the need to just sort of kind of get back at them, remember that story. Remember that story because the love of Christ is what gives us the victory, not anger, not frustration, not, not hostility. You know, I, I, I used to joke that last year when I was speaking, I made the joke that I don't know much about poker because when I was growing up, I grew up Baptist and I was told that poker might lead to drinking. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I know that in poker, if you've, some, sometimes it's considered cheating, but some people have an ace up their sleeve and the idea is if you have an ace up your sleeve, no matter what the cards are dealt, that you have a way to overcome and have the best hand. If you're a Christian, the ace up your sleeve is always the love of Christ. It's always that thing you have in your pocket that's able to overcome any situation or any conflict or any frustration. It always wins. It always wins. And so I believe we don't repay evil with evil. So here's the third question, and this is the last question of the day, and I promise I'll be done. What hope do we have if we're persecuted? What hope do we have? You know, Nebuchadnezzar, he told his people, he said, either bow or burn. He said, either bow or burn. And the message of persecution is the same today. Bow or burn. It's the same message. You want to fit in with this group of friends? Well, you got to stop this whole Jesus thing. Bow or burn. You want to get that promotion? You got to stop insisting that we don't cheat people out of their money. Bow or burn. You want to get an A in this class? You need to write an essay about this subject. I don't care if it's against your beliefs. Bow or burn. You want to keep your job? You got to sign this policy. Everybody has to do it. I don't care if you disagree. Bow or burn, baby. Bow or burn. It's the same message as way back then. And as Christians... These are situations that Christians find themselves in every day. As Christians, we might think, is it worth it? Is it worth it to stand up for what we believe, even if it goes against the crowd? Is it worth it? Well, let's find out. Let's finish our story. Check this out. This is so good. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. You ever see someone's face get distorted with rage? Maybe you're like, yeah, when we were getting ready for church today. Yes, yes, I have seen this. He commanded, <laughs> he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. I don't even know how that's physically possible. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. These guys knew how to accessorize. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, and Nebuchadnezzar said, look, I see four men unbound, 
walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. In case you don't know what's happening, this is what's called a Christophany. Jesus Christ only shows up in the Old Testament a few times, but Jesus Christ actually himself came to visit Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. How cool is that? So cool. And it gets better because Nebuchadnezzar was forced to admit he was wrong. These three guys got walked out of the fire unharmed. They were promoted even more than they had already been promoted. And oh yeah, in the very next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar talks about how he became a follower of God. I mean, it's incredible. You know, a second ago, I asked the final question of the message. If we're persecuted, what hope do we have? Here's the thing, our hope is this. Sometimes the world says bow or burn, but God says, it's all right, I'll see you in the fire, it's all good, I got you. I I think it's so cool that Jesus was watching all of this. He was watching when those three guys stood and everybody else bowed. Jesus was watching when they got called into the principal's office because they decided to disobey the king. Jesus was watching when Nebuchadnezzar let them have it. But when it came to that second where they were thrown into the furnace, Jesus was like, all right, angel, please hold my stuff. I'm going in, I'm going in. And I just think that's so cool because no matter, it doesn't matter if, 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 if your faith, if you feel like you're in a tough situation because of what you believe. If you feel like you're facing challenges because of what you believe and it's getting hard and it's getting difficult and you don't know if you can put one foot in front of the other, you know what? It doesn't matter because God says, it's okay, I will see you in the fire. I will see you in the fire every single day and twice on Sunday. That is the message. That is the message. I wanna leave you with a verse. And this is a verse that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego read when they were young. And the verse goes like this. It's from Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go.
song preaches a sermon all on its own, doesn't it? You know, today we've been talking about the fact that we have a faith that's worth standing up for. And the reason why we have a faith that's worth standing up for is that we believe the most awesome message on the planet. And that's that Jesus loves us unconditionally and that he died on a cross to pay for our sins. And that it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what struggles you face, he loves you so, so much and you can be forgiven, you can be changed, your whole life can be changed. And, and that's a message that can transform your life. And the reason why we stand up for it is because we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest message on the planet. And if you're, if you're here today and you're saying, hey, I want that in my life, I want God in my life, I want, I want that forgiveness, I want, I want to know God. Hey, don't leave today without making that decision. Don't make that decision next week. Don't make it tomorrow. Don't make it next month. Don't make it when it's convenient on your calendar. You know, make it right now. Make it today. And if, if that's what you want to do, I'm just going to ask us all to bow our heads and close our eyes really quick. And I'm going to pray a prayer. You know, these aren't magic words, but these are just words calling out to God saying, yes, please forgive me. Please save me. And if you want to pray that prayer, you can pray it silently or you can pray it out loud, either one. But let's, let's pray together. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know I've done wrong things. I know that I've messed up, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins, and I believe he arose from the grave. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, there's a card in front of you called the Talk to Us card, and you can just check the box that says you prayed to accept Christ and put your name on there, and you can go to the info center back there, but there's also another one in, uh, in, the, north, in, in, in the building with the student center, and uh, they'd be happy to give you a gift. Also, you can text PRAY to 97000, and we just have some gifts we'd love to give you, a Bible and a packet to answer some questions. Thank you so much for joining us for week four of Clash of Dynasties 2.